Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You know, we get to talk to some really interesting people on this show, people who have incredibly fascinating jobs. And I always wonder, how do people end up in those positions? Like, how does one become a book detective? Well, our next guest is exactly that. And she has investigated historic books to find out more about them and the time they came from, quite famously, actually. Vanessa Berganza is the book detective and a doctoral candidate in Renaissance literature at Harvard University and joins us now. Vanessa, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. How did you get this job, Vanessa? Because that sounds pretty darn good. Well, I, I tend to think that the job found me, actually. So I, I knew from the time I was an undergraduate student that I loved literature. And in particular, I loved the secrets that old books could hide. Um, so I knew right away that I wanted to pursue my PhD. Uh, and then I just naturally sort of put myself into places where discovery seemed to find me. So um, four years ago, I was at a book fair and I ran into a book, turned a corner and saw a book that happened to belong to the first female English novelist. And then once you notice one thing, you start to notice another. And so more and more, the, the job finds you. And the more you, you learn, uh, the more there is to notice and the more things seem to find you. So I think, I think the, the, the job chose me in many ways. <laughs> well, what do you mean by the secrets that old books can hide? Mm. It's, uh, so as, as a kid, I was very into Sherlock Holmes. I loved this idea um, that you could discern, you could, you could deduce so many different things from looking at seemingly insignificant details, the mud on someone's shoe or how many stairs there were in a house. And you can do very much the same thing with books. Uh, so, so this book, for example, the, the book that, um, that we'll be talking about today, um, you can actually tell from, say, the decorations on a binding, who bound it, who owned it, um, what they were thinking when they chose certain decorations, which hands it passed through based on whose handwriting is inside, um, and even how it was made based on watermarks on paper. You can even tell where things like paper came from. So all of that pieced together becomes a, can become a real mosaic, and it can become uh, a real window not only into the object, but actually into someone's minds and thoughts from as far as 500 years ago. Yeah, this one I was going to ask you about is one of your most famous cases. It involves a book called The Countess of Pembroke's Arcadia. Tell us about this. Yeah, so this is a book that's very little known today, but it's one of the first uh, novels in English. Um, it was written in the 1570s, and it's got a very sweet story behind it. It was written by a man, a man named Philip Sidney, who was a courtier at the court of Elizabeth I, and he had a kid sister, and he loved to tell her stories. And one day she said, will you write them down? And the result was the Countess of Pembroke's Arcadia. His sister, Mary Sidney, was the Countess of Pembroke. Um, and, but Philip Sidney, he died. He had written um, one complete version of this novel, and then he'd begun to expand upon it, and he died before he could finish it. Um, so Mary Sidney found herself in a, in a really tragic position when her brother died, that um, she had this pile of unfinished manuscripts, the, the Arcadia among them, uh, this book that was written for her. So uh, it's got this very poignant uh, story behind it, uh, even though not many people know about it today. 
That is, okay, so interesting. How did you come across this? Um, so I knew about the Arcadia because because I study Renaissance literature. So as a PhD student, uh, I've, I've, I've actually from undergrad, I've always specialized in uh, English Renaissance literature for bachelor's, master's, and now PhD. So it's a it's a text that you it's inevitable you're going to come across it if you if you specialize in the period, um, but this copy of it actually I I literally spotted it through the rungs of a ladder this copy that um, that uh, uh, claimed to be Mary Sidney's personal copy of her brother's novel, and it was get it was considered a forgery. It was considered a forgery. So so I'd been a, a PhD student for a, about a month. Uh, I hadn't been at Harvard very long, and of course, one of the first things that I did was to get myself a job at the Rare Books Library. <laughs> and um, the library at, at Harvard has this uh, another tragic and interesting story uh, behind it. Uh, the main library is named for Harry Widener, a young man who, uh, a Harvard student, who died on the Titanic, but he loved to collect rare books. And so when he died, his mother donated the uh, the quite a lot of money to, to build what's still the main library at Harvard in his honor. And at the center of this library, there's this beautiful oak-paneled room with, um, with Widener's personal book collection in it. And those, of course, are rare books. They're, you can't check them out. So, um, so they fall to the rare books library. So one day I was in that room helping the librarian to, to pull books that people had requested um, uh, to, to view in a, in a reading room. And she was... She went up the, the, the ladder to pull something from the top shelf, and I'm holding the ladder in place. And I just look between the rungs of the ladder at the shelf in front of me, and I see this scarlet um, leather case, book, uh, uh, case with a book inside of it, um, that says the Countess of Pembroke's Arcadia, the Countess of Pembroke's own copy. And I jumped and I said, that, that exists? It's, a, it's the kind of thing that you don't expect to just run into. Right. Um, so I was floored. And you were convinced that this was authentic. I was. So, so my, my, my balloon didn't stay aloft for very long. <laughs> I, uh, I, I ran back to, the, you know, to my, my librarian uh, friends, my colleagues at the library, uh, the Houghton Library at Harvard, uh, which is a rare book repository, and I said, guess what I saw on the shelf? And uh, pretty soon they, you know, they told me, well, actually, that's, that's reported to be. It's a famous forgery. Um, and... Uh, and uh, uh, Back in the 1940s, when, when Harvard set up its first rare books library, the first librarian uh, took one look at this book and said, well, the binding is not original. The binding is actually French. This is an English book. And the binding was put on a lot later. So what you have is a 17th century book inside and a roughly contemporary binding, contemporary with the book inside, but it was put on at some much later date to make it look like it was Mary Sidney's personal copy. And I, now bear in mind, I hadn't seen the book because the book is in this fantastic leather case and that's how it's shelved. So I didn't really call it up with any agenda in mind. I didn't know what I was going to find. But something in me was just curious to see what this forgery looked like. And so I, I called it up and uh, looked at the, at the bindings. I was new to, to binding analysis at the time. Um, but inside was this signature by uh, supposedly by uh, this man Robert Carr, the first Earl of Ancrum, who's a relative of Mary Sidney's by marriage. And I looked at the handwriting, and I know quite a lot about early modern handwriting. And I said, uh, I said, well, this actually looks like an early 17th century 
hand. And very often forgeries, later forgeries of Renaissance handwriting tend to be shaky or inconsistent, sort of based on what people from later periods notice about the handwriting right. of the time. They don't notice everything. Um, and, uh, and, and this looked authentic. And, and Ankrum, luckily for me, was a member of parliament. So he's left quite a paper trail that not many people care about. Um, and so it, it, uh, it didn't take very long for me to pull up uh, on the rare document market receipts and things that he had signed, and they all matched the signature. And, and that was when I knew there was something else going on here. But Vanessa, it's not easy to convince people in the academic world to change their minds about something that they, they, they remained like they were like, nope, this is it, <laughs> right? This is like done. How did you do that? How mm-hmm. did you convince them that, no, no, you're wrong? Well, I think that, that the, the signature was, was a real, the fact that it was a dead ringer. I mean, handwriting is, is much more telltale and much, more, um, uh, much easier to make a case for than something like a book binding, uh, in which you're analyzing the type of leather, the grain of the leather, all of which are very qualitative. They're, they're, they're uh, part of the case for this book, but they're more qualitative than a signature, which is like a thumbprint. Um, and so I, I, I started by, by retracing the librarian's steps from 80 years ago. Um, and I was able to reproduce his logic. And I think this is what convinced people because he had looked at the, it's interestingly, sort of the, 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 this classic case of judging a book by its cover. He looked at the cover and said, correctly, actually, this is not the original binding. But his next, his conclusion from that was the whole book is a fake. And so he had looked at the signature inside, and he had said, well, I've seen signatures of, of the Earl of Ancrum, uh, and they don't match this one. Now, as it turned out, he had gone to a very, what's still a very famous book sale, rare book sale back in 1932. Uh, the same family, the Ancrum family, uh, sold off their fantastic collection of books. And in some of those books were another Ancrum signature. Now, by that point, the, uh, the Harvard librarian, whose name was Bill Jackson, he, he saw what he expected to see when he saw those signatures in these books for sale. He saw a signature that didn't match. Um, but as it turned out, if you go back into the catalog for that sale, they're, um, from a much, they're signatures by a much later Earl of Ancrum. The hand is a 19th or 20th century hand. Um, and early modern handwriting, Renaissance handwriting, is very distinctive. It's, many of its letter forms are quite different from the handwriting that, that we know that's, that right. really begins in the 19th century uh, onwards. So, um, so he, he literally judged a book by its cover. So I, I think that what, <laughs> what was persuasive about my case was, number one, the handwriting did match, and I could show samples of, of Robert Carr's handwriting, that, that this was the signature in the book. And number two, I could show why the other conclusion had been wrong and reproduce exactly what happened. So I think that that was that put the lid on it for people. You know, Vanessa, you've just very accurately explained why your job is so fascinating, uh, why you're so lucky to do this work. It was amazing. Thank you so much for your time this morning. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much.